Well, if you missed some of this, let me catch you up and also apologize for the quality of my voice. I, there was a, we have had a wedding here and a reception afterwards elsewhere with a loud band, and I realized it's like going to a football game trying to shout to someone over a band, and my voice has been uh, undermined, if you will, from that. I apologize for its weakness this morning. We're on a mission and in a task of working, making our way through the Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and to the church in Somerville, St. Paul's, of course. And remember, just very briefly, we, we wanted to begin first with what Jesus has done for us. What Christ accomplished is where we began. Because everything else follows from that is how we respond to what Christ has accomplished once we have that aha moment, which was the second part of this series. And then what follows after the aha moment in this new life? And so we talked about disciples who are now friends of Jesus, who are called up and called out, and as friends of Jesus, we talked about friends of Jesus with one another in worship, small group, and quiet time as a way of participation. Friends of Jesus, what was that one? Let's see. With one another, to one another, and that was a week ago and talking about our relationships and how we are to live and how we are to behave among one another. And uh, this is the friends of Jesus as friends to others. And we are actually going to have to let this morning's thoughts, uh, one idea, trump all the other ideas. Uh, Part of this thought here is really meant to be the outward focus to others outside the family of God in Christ. But I believe it's essential and important for us to talk about friends of Jesus as friends to others and talk within the context of the family when we leave here and go home and especially talk about friends to others within the context of marriage, of husband and wife. So we are going to focus on simply that one theme today in the midst of all those other possible themes Fathers, don't exasperate your children, for example, would be a rich theme. And slaves and masters could be wonderfully well transposed into employer and employee and how we are to treat one another in the marketplace. But we need to focus on husbands and wives. And the reason we do is because this is probably the, if not the most, one of the most abused passages in all of Scripture And if my wife were here, she would tell you quite readily that that word submit makes her skin crawl. It's very hard to hear, and I do not believe she is unique in that posture. And I believe we need to look at that and perhaps come to a better understanding and perhaps to a transformative understanding. And let's start first with Genesis chapter 4. I think this can help make a point. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, Cain slew his brother Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. That was part of the disruption of the rebellion and the fall. And not only were Adam and Eve corrupted by that, all humankind was corrupted by that, and it began to multiply, have a multiplying effect. And very shortly after the fall, we have the story of the death of Abel by his own brother blood is shed for the first time now is that the natural order of things is that the way it is supposed to be and we would say obviously not 
of course murder is inappropriate, totally wrong and inappropriate and sinful. And we would acknowledge that in the, our pre-fall condition, the idea of murder would never have crossed our minds. In the same way, in the third chapter of Genesis, there is a word there that the husband will be dominant over the wife. That is also a post-fall condition of humanity. But it is not the way God made it, nor did he intend it to be. And when we read of the creation of Adam and Eve as, uh, as mates, that's exactly as they are described as helpmates. Uh, as one wise person said something like this, Eve was made not from the foot of, not from the head of Adam that she might rule over him. Eve was not made from the feet of Adam that he might be ruling over her. Eve was made from the side of Ab Adam that they could stand and be side by side. Brothers and sisters, we've got to take that, that pre-fall condition and apply it to Ephesians and see what we have here as a possible way through that is life-giving for women as well as for men, for husbands as well as for wives. So let's tackle it. Ephesians 5.21 in my Bible, you can even overlook 521 because there's a big gap after 521. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. In a newer version of the Bible I've seen recently, the, uh, the break here is before 521, so this is all put together in one context. It should be in one context, and the breaking up of it in most Bible, most books, is misleading as well. 521. Not on here. It's okay. It makes a point. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Think about what that implica the implications of that. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a mutuality there. It does not go one way. It goes both ways, in this case, from wife to husband and from husband to wife. We've got to reorder our thinking about this and come to some understanding of how men are to be submitted to their wives as wives are submitted to their husbands. I acknowledge there are other translations that sometimes are more helpful. Uh, the word for submit sometimes is substituted with the word uh, subject, if that's a little softer, be subjected to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have a needlepoint on our wall given to us by my mother-in-law when we were married, and it uh, began this next passage that you see here, wives, reverence your husbands as to the Lord. That's a helpful way to see that. But we will work with this word submission today as long as we can have an agreement here between you and me that 521 is, the, is the, the height here of the word of wisdom that Paul gives on marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22 does not say, Husbands, make your wives submit to you in the, in, as to the Lord. It does not say that because it is addressed to women 
and it is a free decision that women make or do not make, whether they are empowered and enabled to make because of the one to whom they are married. Because in actuality, men have to go first in this, and women then can decide whether they choose to be submitted to that man or not. It's freedom, it's not coercive, and it is an act of the free will. I'd asked Ellen if she would stand up here with me today because I thought it might be more helpful hearing it from her lips than from mine what this has looked like in our own 31 years of marriage. Keep in mind that Ellen was married before. She was in a very abusive relationship in which she was even physically abused at times, and she escaped with her life out of that marriage as we saw it. And um, so she knows what it, mean, what it feels like to live in that kind of bondage. She also lived in a marriage where the husband believed in this passage only that one line, wives, be submitted to your husbands as to the Lord. And he was going to make darn sure that she was submitted and he was the king of the family and he ruled over all. Missed the whole point, didn't he? And don't we? when we're thinking like that, that we are to rule over all. Because Paul is going to unpack this in a beautiful way. And in fact, Paul is going to say twice as much to men as he says to women in this passage. Now, Ellen, if she were standing here, would tell you that the more she came to live with me and trust me and respect me as her husband, the more she has been able to treat me and acknowledge me as the head of the family. She's done it by her own free choice. It took time because of the wounds and the brokenness that she brought into our marriage. I had my own wounds and brokenness, which made for an interesting five or eight or nine years there, actually, as we worked this out. But uh, she, could I ask her yesterday, she would readily say today, yes, Mike, I, I absolutely, um, you're the head of the family, and I respect that, I honor that, and you have the final word. And she said, but it's because I trust you. And she knows in get, having that final word, she knows that I might as be just as tempted to say to her, well, Ellen, I think we should do this, but you feel so strongly about this, let's do it your way. Uh, because I trust her equally, and I'm submitted to her as she is submitted to me. And I believe that's the way it works best. In our marriage sacrament, we speak of this interesting relationship between husband and wife. It's said this way in the opening words. It says that marriage signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church. Mary signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church. What is that mystery of the union between Christ and his church? And I believe the mystery is two individuals who are so willing to trust one another that both are willing to be submitted to the other in love. The same mystery that Jesus lived out for the church and the church which is simply people like you and me the saints of God, if you will. We sing the song of the saints of God. Uh, just folks like you and me who um, have also given ourselves over to life and love in Christ. And the mystery is the mutuality of it, is that it goes both ways. It takes cooperation. It takes a, uh, a relationship. It requires trust and faith, and it requires love for this to be accomplished. 
Husbands, Paul writes, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I'm always amazed at how we seem to miss this, we men, uh, what, it, what the implications are for our everyday lives here when Paul says to us, we've, we've gotten stuck back on that submit thing and can't get any further, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Did Jesus ever make you do anything? That's not what love does. The only thing you've ever done for Jesus is what you wanted to do and you chose to do. He has never been coercive in your life. That is not how Jesus functions and that is not how love functions. People fall in love with Jesus. They see him for all his glory and beauty and they want, they choose to follow him. They choose to submit their lives to him. They choose to do for him by doing for others. Why? Because they want to. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, will you die for your family? Will you offer your ego? Whatever it is that stands in the way of being that loving servant in your family, is there something you need to die to? Jesus gave up his life for his family. Paul goes on and on and on. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. I'm not quite sure what Paul means by that, but I've never known a man who wanted to reject his body. But uh, again, this invitation that this is such a relationship of intimacy and closeness and that you will care for this, you will nurture this, you will protect this, all in love. So Paul then says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now it's very peculiar, that's out of Genesis, that quotation. It's very peculiar because in Jewish culture the man does not leave his family. The woman goes with the man to live with his family. And yet this Genesis quotation has it the other way around. And again, one has to ask, well, now what's that peculiar conundrum there? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. I think what this means is that the man who is fully anchored in his own family and in his own family line is so taken by another the woman, the love of his life, that he's even willing to give up his family and go to be with her. It's this idea of total surrender to the other, uh, just this total romantic awe, but practical awe as well, absolute love for the other. He will even leave his own family to join himself to her to begin a new family. And so he concludes, is this is a profound mystery. We pulled this out and put it right into the marriage service, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he finishes, each one of you also must love his wife, and the wife must respect her husband. Another fine twist there. Women need to be loved. There's a book written about this. Men really need respect. What means more to me than anything, actually, is when Ellen says, you did such a great day today driving us somewhere. Or I mean, that's not a very good example, is it? Uh, you did such a great job uh, 
taking care of Hope's concern this past week. Dear daughter, Mike, you just did such an, just a, 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 a acknowledgement of respect. And uh, men loved respect. That's what, we, that's what feeds us. We're different than women. And women love to be loved, to be told, you look so beautiful today, and they feel loved. We need to come to a full understanding of that distinction as well. Well, we're out of time. I want you to take this home and think on it, especially the husbands of this gathered place or the husbands-to-be. What does it mean, husbands, to have your life submitted to your wife? What does it mean not to be coercive in your relationship with your wife? What does it mean to be the leader in foot-washing servanthood to your wife? as Christ loved the church? What does it mean to give yourself up wholly to the other in service and in love? What does it mean to lay down power, control, authority, that you're the boss and it goes your way all the time? What does it mean to lay that down? Because it's only since the fall that this this relationship between man and woman was corrupted. And as we avoid murder that after the fall circumstance we also are to avoid domination in our household because what we yearn for as new people in Christ is to be the restored Adam and Eve even in this relationship husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church And when you do that, you will find that your wife in trust and love and faith will reverence you, reverence you, acknowledge you as head of the family, and do it from her own free will and free choice. I could give you a thousand examples. Go home, though, and think on this. See how you might incorporate this into your own marriage. And if you disagree with me and my understanding of this passage, come and wrestle with me about it a little bit. And let's see where we get with that as well. Okay? Women, your assignment is simply to respect your husbands. Men, though, consider this passage for all it's worth. Amen.